If you want to open up to Nehemiah, we're going to read chapter 8. Starting verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early in the morning until midday. In the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooded platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Matthiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkah, and Masiah on the right hand, and Padiah, Meshiel, Malkajai, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the, the Levites helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book of the law of God, the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Verse nine. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, and do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booze and lived in the booze. For from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. 
and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So just by way of review, and also some of you may notice we skipped a chapter, chapter 7, um, but this I felt like dovetailed well with our last message and complemented it, and also I'm not sure exactly what to say from chapter 7 yet, so it turns out really um, good both ways, <laughs> um, because it's another list of names. So um, anyways, last week we talked about how they built up the walls, which was kind of this external work of God, you know, this is the city of God, they wanted to reinstate, um, you know, they wanted to protect the temple, but also protect the people, and they wanted to have stability, it was kind of, there was a lot going on there, and we talked about that, but we talked about how in the Bible, and in the book of Nehemiah, people a lot of times are expecting God to deliver from outside, and then he comes in and starts messing around in their own lives, and inside the people of God. And in this case, they responded well when he told them, like, yeah, you're building up the wall, but look, you're, these people are selling their kids as slaves, and they're starving, and you're, you're doing that. You're charging them as interest just to make money off of them. You need to repent and quit and promise to never do it again before God. And that kind of thing happened throughout the whole Bible. That happened um, when Moses, I mean, met God in the burning bush. Not only did God say, I'm going to deliver Israel externally from, Israel, uh, from Egypt, I'm going to deliver Israel from Egypt, but he calls out Moses in his own heart and his unbelief, and then he does the same thing with the children of Israel in the wilderness. And so he, yes, he delivered them from Egypt, but then he started working on their hearts and working internally. And Jesus did the same thing, of course. People were all excited. Jesus is going to deliver us from Rome. But then when he started calling out the things on the inside of the nation of Israel, people were pretty upset. And so we see that same idea here in Nehemiah. And we just talked about how we don't want to be just externally connected to the mission of God and internally not have any, uh, not be being shaped, not have any reality. And we want to not just be hearers but doers, um, not just doing externally but internally in the church and in our lives. And this uh, week dovetails well because last week we talked a lot about, you know, you can hear and know and be externally connected and that's not sufficient if you're not doers and this chapter in chapter 8 of Nehemiah really gets both sides Um, and what I want to talk about today is really the two sides the Bible talks about two sides and even maybe two different um, important priorities for the Christian life and for knowing God and following God and it there's said many different ways but I'll tell you quite a few You could say knowing and obeying. That would be one of the ways. Knowing is one thing, and obeying is another thing. You can know and not obey, and that's not good. And that's that's kind of what was going on, like we talked about last week. You can hear and do. That's another way that the Bible talks about hearing and doing. You can hear and not do. Um, You could call it teaching and practice is one way. It's talked about, or teaching and living. And so I'll just share some of these verses with you. Some of them I'll have you turn to, but some of them just, so I don't have you turn a bunch of places I'll read. This one's pretty familiar from James chapter 1. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So you see some of the, you see the hearing and the doing. And that's the way he talks about it. Deuteronomy 29.29, I really like this verse. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those that are revealed belong to us and our descendants forever, so that we might obey all the words of this law. So, that in that case it talks about obeying. It uses the word obey. I really like this verse because it tells us why did we have what we have in the Bible? You know, there's a lot of times where you want to answer, you want quite, you want answers to questions that aren't in the Bible. Like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Well, I wonder what happened here. But this verse tells us why what is there is there, and it's there so we can obey it. That the point of reading the Bible and the point of what God put in here was that so we could know and obey what he's given us to do. And I like that because it also brings up this category, the secret things belong to the Lord. So that means there's things where we should be able just to say, I don't know. But what I do know and what God has revealed, I'm going to obey that. So that's huge um, because sometimes I feel like people think literally every answer for everything is in the Bible and they'll pull out like a, a verse and it's like, I really don't think it's saying that, <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, but what we do know, let's obey that. Um, and so if, it's, if something's really, really unclear in the Bible, um, Focus on what you do know and obey that. Uh, God did not put everything for every situation in the Bible, but he put all the important things that you need to know for life and godliness. So let's, uh, let's turn to this next one, 1 Timothy 4. I like this one. I'm going to read a couple different translations of this particular one. First Timothy 4, let's read 13 to 16, but I'll focus on 16. 4.13 Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. I'm going to read a couple different versions of that, verse 16, because there's quite a range. Uh, the next one I'll read is the NIRV. Um, it's, if you're not familiar, there's a version, if you have kids, it's really good. It's the lowest reading level version of the Bible that they have. It's like third grade. So it takes out like the word serpent and puts in the word snake and things like that. It's really, really good for kids and in adults. I mean, sometimes um, it's helpful uh, just to read it in plain, really, really plain, simple English. So that's a good version. But it says this, be conscientious, which is kind of interesting. That's a long, a long word for third grade. But be conscientious about how you live and what you teach. Uh, Oh, sorry, that's the net. And the NIRV, oh, that makes more sense. The NIRV, this is the third grade one, says, Be careful 
how you live and what you believe. How you live and what you believe. So you see in this passage, it says it different ways, but basically on yourself or your life or practice and your teaching. So what you know and how you're living, what you're practicing and what you're believing or teaching. So you see some of these things. And I want to clarify because it's really easy to get this idea that these two things are a balance. Like there's like one side, you know, if you, if you lean on one side, the other side goes up or you lean on the other side. You know, the other side, you know, will go up and there's just a balance. And the reality is it's not. It's not a balance. It's something, it's more like holding on to two separate things. Um, And that's actually the way the Bible describes it a lot of times. Hold fast, you know, hold fast to the teaching. Um, In Revelation, in the letters, it talks about holding fast to what you have. It seems like that's more than just the teaching. It seems like it's their life and their obedience. But we're going to hold on to both these things. Holding on to doctrine doesn't mean you let go of um, obedience. And holding on to obedience doesn't mean you have to let loose on, on your doctrine, what you know. You hold on to both, right? We hold on tightly to both, and we don't want to let loose on either one. And we don't want to say, well, they're competing. Neither of them are competing. We want them both. And if we let loose on one or the other, that's not good. Both are in the Bible, and both are commended, right? We're supposed to... Um, do both. Uh, I'll read you a couple of verses here. You probably remember this in terms of knowing the Bible, knowing scripture, knowing truth, highly commended. Uh, think about the Bereans. Remember what it says in Acts, this is 17. The, brother, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures to see if these things were so. So here's the positives. Like, man, it's really good to know your Bible and to be serious about what it says and to test and see, like, well, is this really in the Bible? Is this really what the Bible's saying? That's huge. And so, yes, we want that. Absolutely. As a church, as individuals, we want to know our Bibles. On the other hand, um, in the other hand, you could say we're also at the same time holding fast to obedience. It's really amazing when we talked about this. Uh, again, we're going through First Samuel and in the college Bible study, but talked about this. When you hear, you know, that David was a man after God's own heart, you, what do you think of? I mean, it's like, well, what, what, what was that? What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? What characteristics specifically is it talking about? And it's interesting because it actually says it in Acts 13. It says, And when he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found David, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. That's interesting. It's like, David's going to do whatever I say. It's like, he's going to obey me. That's pretty amazing. Specifically, you know, the heart, when we think of the heart in terms of English and, you know, U.S. modern day, we think of emotions. But we've talked about in our Proverbs series a couple years ago that the heart in the Bible is, is the will you know with your heart, you make decisions with your heart, you want things with your heart, all these things, so the will is wrapped up in the heart there. And that's specifically the part the Holy Spirit inspired the writers there to emphasize that he's going to do whatever God asks him to do. Both are commended. And so both are good. We want to hold fast to both of them as individuals and as a church. Like I want to know the Bible, and I want to obey the Bible. I want to know what the Scripture says, 
And I want to live what the scripture says, both. I'm not, I don't want to let loose on either one of those. And so let's think about that in general. And let's think about it in terms of Nehemiah 8 here. So where is this all coming from? Well, it's all coming from Nehemiah 8, right? In Nehemiah 8, what happens is they had just, they've been building the wall. They've been, there's been, you know, reform on the inside um, where he's calling out these sins and they're repenting. And yet, um, they really didn't know the Bible very well. <laughs> and so they read the Bible. And what's the response? It's like people are weeping. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I can't remember. I don't think I've ever seen something like this where people, you read the Bible, just read the Bible, and pe- many people are weeping to the point where they have to say, like, stop weeping. You know, it's pretty amazing. And then they obey it, right? They don't just hear it. It's soaking in and, and soaking into their emotions there and our heart, but then into their will. They're like, well, if the Bible says, if God said that we need to do this Feast of Booze, then we need to do it. And so they sent people out, and then they did it, and they rejoiced. Like, we were obeying, and there was great rejoicing in the obedience. And so you see both. Uh, they need both. You, if you don't, you see how they tie together, because if you didn't know what the Bible said, you couldn't obey it. <laughs> if you didn't know that there was the Feast of Booze, which it seems like they really didn't, then they couldn't obey what they don't know. And so... You have to have both. And there's a danger, right? So the first point, really, we focus on, it's good, right? Both are true. Both are commended by the Bible, and they're not, it's not a balance. We don't have to let go of one to hold, to hold on to the other. You know, I've heard things said like, we're not serious about um, doctrine because, you know, we're big on life, you know, living it. Or I heard some, another person say something like, we don't do Bible studies, we do Bible doings. You know, it's like, we don't need to study anymore, we need to do it, you know. It's like, well, you probably need both, right? It's like, both those are saying, like, it's kind of a balance and we've got to choose one versus the other. We're pitting one against the other. When the reality is, we can have Bible studies and we want to do it, both. Like, we're going to hold fast to both. Um, and so, both are good, but... On the other hand, we could say there's a danger in lacking either one. And I want to sh- you to turn here this time like, to Revelation, and let's look at these letters to the churches, because in these letters to the churches in Revelation, we see different churches have different problems, but we see specifically in this area of knowing and in the area of obeying or doing um, different churches had different problems. So let's start in Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. And I want you to think about what is lacking in this letter here, this church here. Are they like the uh, people in Nehemiah where it's like, well, we didn't even know we had to, you know, do the Feast of Booze. We just found out. You know, we had no idea. And so they're lacking. They didn't even know the scriptures. And so... Is that the problem? Or do they know it and they're not obeying it? So is one of these lacking? Um, So let's read this together. Revelation 2.18. This is the church in Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works and your love and faith and service and patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. But this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. 
I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, I say to you, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. To the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, and I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, you know, it's kind of interesting in reading through this, there's actually kind of a combination. You could almost say either one, because he's actually talking to different groups here, and he's giving different exhortations. But let's think about, um, he's talking to different groups in the church. Um, he specifically says some of them haven't hold to the certain teaching, other have. Some of them have committed, you know, aren't living things out, and some are. Um, some are not going into this sin. But let's specifically think about this idea of verse 19. He talks about he's commending their works and their faith and their service. He's commending that. He's like, man, you guys, you, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Like you are, you are being patient. You're enduring. You love people. You're walking this out. But this I have against you, that you tolerate Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching, basically, people to sin. So it seems like, just from those first two verses, the problem in general, um, and he specifically addresses some small groups, it seems like, or that, aren't, that don't, don't have this problem, but he, spe- he says, your works are good and your, your teaching is bad. Like, you need discernment. Like, this lady is telling people to sin and you're okay with that. And that's obviously a problem. And he's telling them, repent. You know, you need, you need doctrinal discernment here. You need to understand what the sin is not okay. You know, God is a God whose eyes are like flaming of fire is the way he started the, the letter there. And so that's wrong, you know. Um, they need to grow. They need to learn. And they need to have good teaching. Um, they need to not be teaching things that are leading people to sin. That's obviously a big problem. Now, on the other hand, it's kind of interesting because he's writing here to this church and there's some that aren't holding fast to the teaching, right? He says that later on. So they're not, they don't, they've rejected that and they're not actually doing it either. They're not falling into sin either. So that's good. Um, so I want to th- just, you to think about this. Um, I'll, t- I'll tell a story about myself that kind of, is a negative example um, on me. Um, but there was, a, there was a deal that I encountered where there was this um, Christian organization and they, were, they said that they were going to have an event and they were going to show this rated R movie that was, I'm not even going to go into what was in it. It was filthy, you know. And um, I was like, I wrote a letter basically telling them, basically, you're all lost. <laughs> and this is... Um, here's all the verses about sin and, and all that. And, 
you definitely this is wrong and and the reality is um i overstepped because if you think about this church here uh, in thyatira he's writing to them like a church <laughs> like they're real and like they need to repent they really have some issues but that there's real christians in there and he's basically telling them hold fast you know hold you've, you've you're not going along with his teaching hold fast you know don't let go of what's real and don't fall into sin you know both know and obey what I'm saying and continue on in that way. And so I had to write an apology later on uh, when I saw how, that that was wrong and just say, I disagree, I don't think that was good, but I definitely didn't handle it the way Jesus would. And um, I have real concerns, and I still think that's wrong. Um, but I would have I talked differently, and I wouldn't have just written them off totally like, okay, that's just a totally false church. Um, because that's not what Jesus did here. And so we want both. And you can see that God is exhorting us in this letter, particularly both. We want both. We want to, we want to know truth and we want to obey it, both. We don't want to let go of either one. Now look at this other letter to the church, which seems very different uh, to, at the very beginning, go back to the very beginning of Revelation 2. And it's interesting because almost the opposite problem in, in every way. It's really amazing how, how opposite it is. 2.1, this is to Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven, lamp star, the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet... This you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so here, it's interesting because the other church, he's saying he commended their works and he says they're, latter, they're growing in their works. Their latter works are greater than their first. And in this one, it says just the opposite. He knows their works and they're not doing what they did at first and they need to repent. The other one, they couldn't tell doctrinal error from doctrinal truth, many of them, and he's saying this is false teaching, you need to cut that out. And this one, they're totally aware, and it says they, um, they have tested the false apostles and basically said you're false, being able to discern it. And yet, they're not walking it out. I mean, they know it, and he's saying, yeah, but you're not doing I mean, you don't, do, you don't love anymore like you did, and you're not doing the things you did first. You need to repent, or I'm going to remove your lampstand, which... I take to mean they're not going to be a real church anymore. Um, and so, great doctrine and was in danger of being a dead church. And so we can see that we need both, right? And you, we could be off in one area or the other. We could be holding loosely to one and tight to another or tight to one and loose to the other. We could be real serious on like whatever the Bible says, let's do it. But when we don't know what the Bible says, that's a problem, Right? If we say we're real big here, we just really want to love people, but we don't know what the Bible teaches love is, then we may be really off. 
If we say, we're real big on doctrine here, we're going to talk about all the verses, all the Greek, every single you know one of these things we're going to dig into, that's good. But what if we don't do anything? And what if we don't obey any of that? We, you know, I gave this illustration, which I heard from another pastor um, a while ago, but I'll give it again. If you tell your kid, you know, clean your room, and they come back and they say, hey, Dad, I memorized what you said. I even learned it in Greek. Clean my room. It's like, well, look, I told you to actually clean your room, and you go in and the room's not clean. It's like, well, I don't care. <laughs> it's like more shame on you because you know exactly what I said. And we can do that as Christians, right? It's like, man, let's do a Bible study. Let's read it. Let's talk about it. Let's dissect it and then go home. It's like, are we doing it? <laughs> it's, it's like there's no good there. We've got to have both. I mean, if you know what he says, you've got to know what he says to obey him, okay? And, but you can't just know and not obey. You can't say, I'm just obeying. I'm not going to be serious about knowing. So, like, well, what are you going to obey? Um, you have to have both, and we have to have both. And so we want both. I mean, we want as individuals and as a church to be serious, very serious about both. And so I might just ask you and something to reflect on here. It's a danger. You see the danger here from Revelation. It's a danger either direction. There's a ditch on both sides. And so you've got to just hold fast to both. Uh, we want to obey God and we want to know what he says. We want to know what he says and we want to obey. We want to be serious, deeply serious, holding fast to both. Um, but I might just ask, is there in your life or family or background um, where you can see that you're holding, you're definitely holding on to one and you're loose on the other? And it may be different for different people. And I was thinking too about different, it seems like as you grow, you see how your background as you grew up really does affect you, you know, throughout your whole life. And so it may be the church you grew up in, or it may be uh, your parents' uh, influence, or it may be just a personal leaning. I mean, some, the way God made you personality-wise, you tend to hold tight to one and, and, and loosely to the other. So I just might want to ask you a couple of questions to think, okay, how can we discern that? Uh, what might be some signs, what ways we can know it? Um, and I'll just ask a couple of questions for you to just to meditate on. Are you meticulous and diligent about your scripture knowledge? Are you serious about what it says? Okay. Same question in the other direction. Are you diligent and careful about your life, about doing what you know? I might ask this question as a church. Which type of person could come into our church and not be helped and not be noticed and not be um, exhorted. A person who has really, really, really good doctrine, but they're weak on living it out. They can talk to you about all the verses, um, but they're not living it out. Or the person who's really, really serious about doing whatever they, God says, and they really don't know the scriptures very well. And they don't really know what God says very much. Which person would stick out? And which person would we be able to to discern that and would we notice? Or would would one of those fit right in and just be like, yeah, just like everybody else? It's like nobody notices. You know, it's it's kinda like you could describe it like a a sense of smell. You know, it's like if you can like smell bad doctrine, like I think I smell a little bit, I think I smell just the tiniest bit of bad doctrine. And then it's like 
and then there's like a dead, literally like a dead body of like totally dead knowledge. It's like no application. It's like, I don't notice that. It's like, that's scary, right? Like real sensitive in one, totally unaware in the other. We don't want to be like that in either direction. You could say it in reverse. We want to be serious about both. And so you might just think about it. You might think, how often am I concerned about something that was said in the sermon like, well, you said this, but is that, should you have used this word, that word? Okay, how often does that happen? Versus how often do you think, wow, um, is this real in my life? Because if, you know, 51 out of 52 sermons, you know, a, a year you think, man, you should have said this a little different, you should have quoted this verse, and then one time a year you think, huh, I wonder if this is real in my life. It's like, imbalance. None of the, both good questions. We want both. Every week we want to be asking ourselves, is this real in my life? Um, and is this true? <laughs> we want both. Um, so you just ask, how often does that happen to me? We might even think, take it into another area of our life, but parenting. Okay? Many of us here are parents. Are you diligent to teach your kids about the Bible? Whether that's, you know, once a week you guys sit down and you have your weekly kids time or twice a week or however often you do it or um, however that looks for you and your family second question are you diligent about teaching your kids to be doing what they know it's a different question you know we could talk about it really in terms of the gospel I mean we're sharing the gospel with our kids over and over and over you know, we want our kids to know the gospel. Uh, what about applying it? When, when it's one thing to sit down and have a Bible study, it's like, hey, we're talking about Jesus died for your sins. Now, when your child does sin, then what do you do? Do you just discipline them? Or do you point them to God and talk about, well, what can we do now? Well, we can go to Jesus and we can trust him because he wants to forgive our sins. He wants us to free, free us from our sins. Let's, let's point, let's, Let's do that. Let's pray together. That's different, right? Those are two different things. And they're both important, right? You can't just encourage your kids to do things they don't know, but you can't just tell them the truth um, and not lead them and guide them in obeying the truth. We want both. We want to do both as parents. So not just reading the Bible and reading reading about sins, anger is wrong, you know, you shouldn't do this. But then when our child gets angry, as parents, we go to them and say, hey, what can we do? What can we do now? Let's go to God. Let's pray. Let's ask for help. Let's, let's pray about this and ask God to help us to respond rightly. Um, to move forward. So we want to do both. Um, we want to be teaching our kids, but we also want to be teaching our kids to obey what God has said and giving them an example there. Another example with get back to parenting. I mean, Okay, Bible study, you talk about God created all things. This, um, you know, God made everything. You, maybe you're going through Genesis 1. But then that's teaching the knowledge. But then when you go outside and they say, wow, look at the sky or wow, look at these leaves, then taking it into application and say, let's thank God because God's the one that made this. And let's thank him and praise him. So then we're moving from just teaching them to know the facts to this is how this has worked out in our life. 
And this is how we obey what God has asked us to do and how we apply it to our life. We want both. So I, I, this is really important. Um, I, think it's, I think it's really, really important. I was talking to another friend who's a pastor this week, and he was saying that, I was kind of trying to talk through some of this with him, and how could I say this in a way that's clear and things like that, and he told me that he had watched a, a documentary about kids leaving the church, and he said that the um, the main point of the documentary was basically that the kids were taught the what, um, just the facts, but often they didn't know the why or the how. So it's like they could tell you the facts, but that's it. It's like Jesus died for my sin. How does that affect your life? Not sure. And so we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that as parents. Uh, we want to teach the content and teach the living and the practicing. And so we teach the kids the gospel. We practice that when at our house. You know, when, when somebody sins, hey, let's talk to God. Let's take it to God. Let's ask for forgiveness. Let's ask your, your brother or your sister or your parents for forgiveness. And then let's ask God for forgiveness um, and move forward. Trust God. Learning to walk in faith, not just know about faith. And so give you a real, this is a real odd statement, okay? I'm going to tell you that already that this is really weird what I'm about to say. But I was thinking about it with really little, little kids. And I was thinking about what does this look like for kids? And in every other area of a kid's life, um, for them, practicing what they know means just imitating mom and dad. So, like, they carry around a baby and, you know, they're patting on the back and and then they do stuff that, you know, they shouldn't do. It's like, well, we don't actually do that to babies, you know. And like, you have to be gentle with babies, things like that. And so they're just doing dishes. The other day, it was funny. Jack's only one year old, but he does this. Something fell on the counter, and I, uh, it was food, and I licked it off with my finger like this. And he started going, and touching that spot and going. So he knew, like, I need to do something with this spot. And uh, and uh, I think I need to lick this spot. He's just imitating. It's like it's so, it's crazy. So um, he thought that spot of the counter, for whatever, in his mind, is like, well, I guess you lick this spot of the counter. So, but all that is to say, when kids, uh, how do kids um, practice everything in life? They basically play. And um, I think it's okay, this may or may not apply to you, but I think it's okay, like, if you're playing with your kids, um, to to allow God to be a part of their play. You know, it's like something, you know, they're running from the bad guys or whatever. It's like, well, let's pray. I think that's good. It's not real. I mean, there's not, not any, there's not really anybody there. But if that's their, if that's how they're taking in, like when something scary happens, I go to God. That's good. <laughs> Even though it's just pretend at that time. I think that's okay. Um, and whatever way, the reason I share all that and, and bring this up is whatever way that looks in your child's development at where they are, um, let them practice, you know, whatever that looks like for us. Um, I'm not saying we do this right every time, but like this week, joy had a comb that she had it backwards and she was making announcements. She said, my favorite Bible verse is such and such, (laughs) which is it's time for announcements. (laughs) 
And it's like, great, you know, good. I hope that one day she does encourage people with what she's reading um, in Scripture. And I think that sounds silly, you know, or whatever, but I think we just let them and we, we encourage that wherever they're at. Um, whatever that looks like. When they pray at meals, it's going to be different. It's going to be strange. Encourage it, you know. Um, so, we want both. We want we want to know the Bible. We want to obey the Bible. We want to hear and understand. Let's keep going. Let's read... Uh, in Ephesians 4, here, before we go. This is... So this will be my kind of turning this as best I can to application. Uh, we were just talking about this in the... getting together with some guys on Monday and going through Ephesians, and I thought this is just exactly... This is just exactly what happened really in Nehemiah. Um, so, Ephesians 4, starting 13, kind of skipping in the middle, but. So, well, let's go back. Let's start in 11. And he gave Christ the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ, into Christ. So this is, I like this, you know, um, when we were talking about this uh, on Monday, Garrett pointed out, it's talking about, it's talking about doctrine all throughout here. And it's talking about not being blown and tossed by the wind. But it's also talking about that we're, that we're, the purpose of us gathering together, the purpose of people ministering to one another is that we all grow up to be like Christ and to do the do the work of the ministry. So you see both. And even as it goes through, you see it again and again, like speaking the truth in love. You see how that's both. It's like you have to know the truth, but then you have to actually apply it and it work itself out in your life. You're speaking it to one another. Um, we want both. You know, Building up the body. It's kind of interesting, building up the body. It reminds me of that deal like of bodybuilders, right? They build up the body, but they, it's not to do anything. It's just build up the body. Why? Just to look good. Like, what, do you, what do you do? I set a desk, you know, 40 hours a week, I'm an accountant. And they're like huge, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's like, okay. Whereas other people, you know, like soldiers... They're training, and they do PT or whatever I think they call it, and they go out and they do push-ups and they run. Why? Because they want to use it. They want to save people. You know, yeah. firefighters, you know, I want to help somebody. And that's the way we should be thinking about our meetings. It's like we don't want to be bodybuilders here. Like I want to learn and I want to learn and I want to learn and I want to I 
you know, get big. And what? That's it. Well, I want to be helping people, right? I want to, I want to learn because I want to honor God. I want to love God, and I want to be helping others. I want to be a productive member of the body. And that's, we, that's what we want. Um, we want both. We, want to, we don't want to be tossed by every wind in doctrine. On the other hand, we want to be able to, each of us, do the work of the ministry, both. We want to be able to speak the truth in love. And so, why are we here, you know? We're here because we want to help you. I, I want to help you be a better mom, be a better dad, minister to your kids, be a diligent worker that honors Christ with your, your daily life, to be able to speak the truth in love to one another, to be able to build one another up. Um, you know, it's like I, I want you to be the person at work where somebody's mom gets cancer and they find out and they come to your desk and they're like, crying, hey, I just found out this, will you, you know, what do you think I should do, or will you pray for me, something like that, that's huge, right, I mean, that would be so big, what an impact that would be, if each one of us was being built up, not just to know the right answers, but to be out in our life, honoring God, and wanting to do the work of the ministry, both in the church and outside, to others, that's huge, um, be able to pray with them. I I hope that these two categories are help, as helpful, are just so helpful to you, because if it does seem like even from Revelation and other people I've talked to, I you know why does it seem like we do relax one and the other, even though we don't have to, we do get kind of loose holding on one or the other. Why is that? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, but I hope it's helpful to you to hear and have these categories in your mind to know when you read a verse, what does this mean? I want to understand it, right? You can't obey it if you don't understand it. Um, You can't obey it if you don't know it. But then not just to stop there, but to move into, okay, now I do want to obey. Um, I'll give you an example. This is the last, this is kind of my wrapping up. Um, Just one example. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is kind of a famous verse, uh, two verses. I bet a lot of you know it. Um, maybe I would I would think, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths, or He will make your paths straight. Um, and so there's a verse. Okay. What's our goal? Is it just to memorize that verse, and then sit it on the shelf in our mind? Is it just to understand what it means? We wanted, I think it would be good to do both of those. Or is it to apply it? Because you know what? I realized in preparing this you know, and thinking a lot about this, it's like knowing a bunch of verses in my mind does not help me day to day at all. Period. Unless I take one off the shelf and believe it and trust and apply it. Right? That's amazing. That's like you can know a thousand Bible verses, but if you don't take any of them down and trust and believe and, and apply it to your life and to your heart in the moment, it's like, it's not help. It's not helpful. It doesn't give you joy and peace and comfort during the day. But think about that verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. 
So the question isn't, well, that's kind of an encouraging verse, which it is. It's, okay, now how tomorrow am I doing that? Or can I do that? Am I acknowledging God in all my ways? It's like, you know, how many of us would say, like, yeah, I'm acknowledging God in all my ways. <laughs> it's like, a lot of us probably have the verse memorized, but are any of us doing it? Does it bother us if we're not doing it? Um, and then, just the next question is, how? And this kind of gets back to maybe last week. Actually, two different people gave me, told me, well, you should, uh, you should use this illustration <laughs> about food. And they said that, you know, just because... Um, you, you don't remember what was said last week doesn't necessarily mean you weren't nourished by it. Just like you don't remember necessarily every meal you ate last week, you can still grow and it'd be incorporated into your life and applied. Um, even though, you know, you, I'm sure very few of you can remember s- sermons from six months ago, that there are some that are being incorporated and, and, and you're applying it even if you couldn't say the points back. And so I think that's a good word and it's a good illustration. Um, we, we don't want the sermons to be food that we just put, in the sh- put on the shelf. We want to incorporate them. We want to eat them, digest them, and then work their way out into our lives to be doing something in our lives. We may not know every detail, and it might be different for different people, right? So the sermon this week could be totally applied totally differently for two different people, but they're both sincerely and with the help of the Spirit digesting it and incorporating it into their life. And then a month from now, they might not even remember but it may be there, um, helping them to grow and walk and helping them with what's going on this week. So that's, that's important to think about, that we don't all have to apply it the same way. But we do have to apply it. Um, we do have to apply it. I mean, this verse, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's like it's a command. Like we want to do it. And what's the result? God's going to be with us. He's going to guide our steps. How are we going to do it? We might all do it differently. You know, somebody might say, well, what the best way I know how to apply it is to wake up in the morning and pray through my whole day before it even starts. God, I'm going to be doing this today. Please help me in that. I know I got this meeting. Would you help me with this? And, what, and, and to do the right thing, I'm not sure what to do here. And then I'm going to be coming home, playing with the kids. Please help me to, to just be fully present, to honor you. Uh, to have fun and to be a good example, to be a servant. And, the, you know, go, you go through your whole day and you're acknowledging God. Other people might say, well, it's like, that's not me. I can't hardly think when I wake up until 9 or whatever. But what I do is as I go through the day, I pray. You know, and something comes up, I pray. Something comes up, I pray. And the other person's like, I've got to I've got to hit it when I wake up or I'm going to, you know, I may not forget. I may go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting and I don't, you know, for me, it's best to do it right at the beginning. And if I get a moment, great. And if I don't, I've prayed about it. So, you know, it might be look totally different, but at least both people are saying, like, man, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm not just going to know the verse, but I want to apply it. And then that's when the joy and the rejoicing comes. Is like when we actually take in, digest, and we hold on to it. We don't just know it, but we obey it. And you see that in, you see that in Nehemiah, right? It's like they, they were weeping when they heard the word, and then they applied it, and they were rejoicing. And he's saying, he's telling them, you know, rejoice for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I think, and I hope that you'll find that maybe you just read the as you're reading the Bible this week, you see one, and you think, no, I know this verse, and I've known this verse for years, but I don't want to just know it. I want to obey it, and find that as you 
take it in faith, you believe it throughout the day, you apply it and you obey it, that that's when real joy and peace and, and comfort comes, is in that. It's not just having it memorized. It's in actually trusting God. It's in actually giving your sins over to Him and feeling the burden lifted. Not just knowing that you can, but actually doing it. Not just, um, you know, these verses. Knowing you don't know. It's like, I don't know how, how to do this. Well, take it to God. And He promised to help. And so, joy and peace and comfort. And so, we want both. As a church, as individuals, we want to obey God. And we want to know what he says. And we don't want to hold, we don't want to hold one tight and hold one loose. We want to hold them both really tight. And so I hope that it helps you. Um, it's really encouraging. Uh, if we had more time, I would share more stories. But I used to collect all these stories about people because I taught special ed that um, were disabled in different ways and seemed to be saved and really, really encouraging. And there's some amazing Stories about people who basically knew just like one verse and they applied it every day and they had tons of joy and peace and they helped tons of people. And I've shared, I've shared some of those before, but it's just amazing. Um, you know, there's that, I'll just give one really, really fast. There's this, there was this guy, Spurgeon told this story about this guy who was mentally disabled and he just got a hold of this one thing some ladies were saying as they walked down the road, which was, um, that Jesus Christ is my all in all. And he just said that over and over. And the pastor would come and talk to him. It's like, you know, so-and-so, I can't remember his name. What's going on with you? Well, I don't know much at all, but at this I know. Jesus Christ is my all in all. And he would just say that over and over and over. It seemed like he really applied it to his life. And he just trusts Jesus. <laughs> it's like he, he basically knew one thing about God, which was, he's my all in all, I can trust him. People would ask him other questions, and he would just say that over and over. But he had joy and peace and life, and he encouraged people, encouraged a lot of people. It's like, man, if we've been holding on to knowledge, good. Let's keep holding on. But if let's obey, too, because it's not going to take very many verses uh, applied every day to our life to change us radically, right? I mean, think about just if four or five verses, if you maybe you write it down this week, and so let's just think after the sermon, it's like, if, if I applied every day to my life four or five verses, how radically would that be changed? What four or five verses would I want applied this year or next year, the next two years? That would be huge. I mean, Psalm, or Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that'd be huge. Every day acknowledge God in all your ways, that'd be huge. Um, just something to think about and pray about, and let's close in prayer. Father, uh, we do thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you so much for these people that were hearing and understanding and obeying and our examples to us. I pray that we could be like that and that there would be a sense of joy and rejoicing, uh, weeping over sin, uh, things that we we fell short, but then rejoicing in obedience, um, forgiveness. So we're looking to you for help. And I do pray that you would make us... Um, more like your son, would you help us to equip one another and build one another up and um, really be looking to honor you and all our interactions. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us everything we need and that you're here to help us. I pray for our kids. 
we really want to see our kids saved and to really know you and to be walking in the truth. And uh, we need you to do it by your spirit. We can't do it. Pray you'd help us as parents. Um, pray you'd help us as pastors. And um, pray you'd help everyone as they go to work this week uh, just to be lights. We just lift all this up to you. We're thankful to you um, for your grace towards us and your love towards us. And we ask you to help us this week. Amen.